We are, if you're just joining us here for the first time, or if you've, it's been a little while since you've been here, we are in the middle of a sermon series that I have entitled Growing in the Presence of God. Growing in the Presence of God. And as we began the sermon series, we began talking about this aspect of God's presence that's talked about in Scripture all the time, but yet we don't consciously think about it on a day-to-day basis. So it may be a bird's-eye view of where we've been so far in Scripture to see where we're going today is this. When we started, we talked about what's called the portrait of God's presence. That was our first message. And that was out of Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10. And we said that there's two aspects, two dimensions to the presence of God. One is that God has a sovereign ruling presence over every square inch of existence. So we can say God is here and God is there. God is everywhere at all times because he, as God, he is a sovereign ruler. Okay, so, so David says in Psalm 139, there's nowhere I can go to escape you, God. If I go up to the depths of heaven or to the depths of Sheol, everywhere I go, you are there because you are God. But there's a second aspect to the presence of God. This one's different. As we said, God is a sovereign ruler. I would also say that God has a relational fatherly presence that is only promised to his people to those that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and adopted into the family of God. And this aspect of his presence is something that we actively pursue and we play a role in daily and weekly in our walk with God. All right, the Bible also talks about how this relational presence is the face of God. God will turn his face toward us. Or sometimes when we're living in sin, God will turn his face away from us. All right, so that's what we talked about in our first message, which was the portrait of God's presence. Then we talked about the potential of God's presence. And we read the same psalm that Brother Kenny read this morning, Psalm 16. And we we zeroed in on verse 11 that says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we said there's two aspects to that. Number one, we'll be in his full presence in the kingdom of heaven forever when when we die and go to be with the Lord when... We have that moment, we will know what true and full and complete joy is. However, we don't have to wait to heaven to enjoy that now. There's an aspect of God's relational presence when you have a closeness and a sweetness with God that you can experience the height of joy and pleasure that God intended for you to have here on this earth. The the dangerous thing is we seek other things to give us that pleasure that only God can give. Then we we walked, that was the first two weeks. Then in our third week, we talked about the promise of God's presence. And we looked all the way from Genesis to Revelation at every promise makes that God makes that he will be with his people. And we zeroed in on the very end of the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. And we talked about what does it look like in our daily life if we are consciously present of God's relational presence that everywhere we go, he is with us, he has not left us, he will not forsake us when we place our faith in him and when we trust in him and when we do not let sin get in the way of our walk with him. And that led us to last week. Last week was the pursuit of God's presence as we looked in in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 22. And we spent a lot of time looking at the tabernacle in the Old Testament of how God desired to be present with his people. But now how Jesus has taken care of all the legal requirements and we simply are called to pursue God by drawing near to him. In the book of James, he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. 
We are called to pursue God in response to the way that he has pursued us. So that sets us up perfectly for where we are today. And the title of our message here today is the power of God's presence. We've talked about the portrait of his presence, the potential of his presence, the promise of his presence, the pursuit of his presence. And now we're going to talk today about the power of his presence. And we're going to be reading what I call my life verse. Uh, John 15, 5, I could preach it with my eyes closed. This is something that God wrote on my heart a long time ago. It's the cry of my own life. I pray it be the cry of our life as a church. But before we get into that, of course, I always like to prime our hearts and our minds with something to think about. So here's the question that I want to ask you. I want you to think about this. When was the last time you witnessed God's power at work in your life? Not talking about your salvation, that's certainly the power of God, and, and some of you had amazing uh, testimonies where when you came to faith, there are things in your life that changed instantaneously, okay? That is God's power, and God does deserve the praise, honor, and glory for that. But I'm just talking about in your daily life. What, when's the last time that you've noticed something in your life where you said, wow, God's power has really been moving in my life lately? I wish I could stand up here and tell you I've seen God's power work in my life every single day for the last several months or even years that I I just can't even be quiet about the power of God that I see in my everyday life. I would be lying to you if I said that because I yearn to see his power working in my life every bit as much as anybody in this room. Now, there have been moments, there have been echoes, moments where I've seen God work in my life, but boy, I want to see him do more. I want to know the power of God in my life. And when I talk about the power of God, what I'm specifically talking about is the the power to change us. I don't know if you know this, but every human being desires change. I don't know if any person that says, I am exactly who I want to be. There's nothing about me that needs to change. I'm perfect as I am right now. I don't want anything to change. I don't want to change. I don't want my family to change. I want everything to be perfect right now because right now everything's perfect. Raise your hand if everything's perfect in your life. Exactly. We know things are not as good as they should be. And more specifically, we know that we are not as good as we should be. And you know what? Politicians in Washington, D.C., they've tapped into this. They know and they manipulate every election. I don't care at what level the person who's pleading for your vote is promising you change. They say it in different ways every four years, but they're saying the same thing. Life is not what it should be. If you vote for me, life will finally be what you thought it would be because you need change, and I'm the one that's here to bring it to you. Well, guess what? Change does not come from Washington, D.C. Change comes from God. God is the one that makes change happen in our lives. The power of God to change us and make us more like Jesus Christ. That's the power that I want to see. And that power is not based on achievement. It's based on attitude. God's power in your life is not necessarily to produce achievements, although it's great when that happens. God's power in your life is to change your attitudes to make you more like Jesus Christ that what you would bear is his spiritual fruit. I was wonderfully reminded of this this morning. I'm not going to say her name to embarrass her because I know she did not do this for applause. But several weeks ago behind the pulpit, I mentioned uh, another life verse for me. There's two verses, John 15, 5, which I'm going to preach here in a minute. 
in Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11, because I need to be reminded of this every day. Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11 says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. A dear woman in this church brought me that verse on a canvas this morning to hang up in my office. I'm telling you, that was straight from God. I not only needed that, I needed it this morning. I cannot put into words um, what this church family means to me, how you speak to my heart, how you let God speak through you to me, and I want to thank you for that. But I want to also remind you, as I was reminded this morning, that the change that God wants to do in your life, the power of the presence of God, is not just to produce achievements, it's to change your heart and make you more like Jesus Christ. It is not about achievement it is about attitude and what is the attitude well i would say galatians chapter 5 is the famous fruit of the spirit passage the power of god produces love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control those are the things the power of god can do to change in your life in your heart through the spirit bearing that fruit And that's what we're going to talk about when you're in the relational presence of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit and you trust and lean in on Jesus Christ. Those are the changes you can expect to take place in your life. That's the power of God that we need every day. So as we get ready to read John chapter 15, in one sentence, I want us to wrap our minds around the big idea. And the big idea is this in one sentence. When we abide in the relational presence of God through the vine of Christ, he will empower us to bear his spiritual fruit. The vine of Christ, the place that we go to be changed, and the place that we experience the power of God. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of John, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll be in the 15th chapter. If you do not have a Bible with you, please grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1071 in your pew Bibles. If you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we are in John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 to get full context, but we're going to be zeroing in on verse 5. Okay, this is John chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's the key verse, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we are called to abide. And we thank you for your word written that reminds us daily of how much we need Christ every single moment. Father, would you be with us at this time? I pray that all the words and the honor and the glory would all be yours, Father. I just pray that you would anoint these words and that they would go out and change hearts. Father, saturate this sanctuary with your precious Holy Spirit. Draw us to you and let us know through the vine of Jesus Christ the power of your presence. These things we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. I would say that the whole Bible is the Word of God. From the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. However, there are certain passages in the Holy Scriptures that carry a little bit extra weight. And we're, we're at a section of Scripture, John chapter 14 verse, uh, through John chapter 17 is what scholars call the farewell discourse. And what I mean by that, what they mean by that, is it's the last four chapters as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he, in his farewell to the disciples, he's preparing them for what life is going to look like when he's no longer there. All right, final instructions, right? His last words become our first words. And he gives them these important words. And we get to John chapter 15, and Jesus is laying it all out there on the line. He's saying, you know what? Let me use a metaphor. You know, they're sitting out there in the wilderness, and he's pointing towards fig trees and vines and branches. And he's saying, here's what you need to know. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You stick with me, and you'll do what a branch is called to do. And that's bear the fruit that the vine is producing. But if you disconnect from me, you're in trouble. It's the last thing he says to his disciples. And so, again, his last word should be our first priority. And one of the things this provides for us is this idea, okay, that's all over Scripture, by the way, of us being in Christ. All right? Being in Jesus Christ. I said this last week, talking about the presence of God, how it's almost like when you buy a new car, and for the first two weeks you drive your new car around, you think everybody in town has the same car because you're aware of that car and that color. Well, it's the same thing when I began to read these words in Christ. Now, I could not list all of them. I'm just going to read a few of them real quickly. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Over and over and over in the New Testament, Paul and the other writers are saying, you need to be in Christ. You don't need to just know Christ. You don't need to just be saved by Christ. You need to be in him and he needs to be in you. This is all over the scriptures. In fact, this is why Jesus says these sobering words in Matthew chapter 7 that makes some of us go, wow. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, he says, he's going to say to some people at the end of time, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's going to say that to people who casted out demons in his name. He's going to say that to people who've been sitting in church pews for 50 years. And what they're going to say to him is, how could you possibly say that, Jesus? I've been a Christian for 50 years. And he's going to say to them, and a paraphrase of this would be, you knew of me, but you were not in me. That's sobering. It's not enough to know who Jesus is. The demons know who Jesus is. We need to be in Jesus. 
Again, well, the first one I read there is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's new. He's a new creation. His old life has passed away. New things have come. His life is changing. And the power of God is the one who is changing him. So what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, I've chewed on this and wrestled with this. I've got my own definition. Okay, if you want to change it, be my guest. But here's, what, here's my best shot. Okay. Being in Jesus Christ is not a one-time event, but a living, breathing, developing, transforming, defining element of the Christian life. We are not merely followers of Jesus Christ, but as Christians, we belong to the Christ. He is the bridegroom. We are his redeemed bride. And even through, even though our relationship was established, the moment our hearts were changed and we professed our faith in his lordship, This marriage, like any marriage, requires we give our hearts to him every single day. In Christ. Not that we just know him, not that we just love him and appreciate him, but we are in him and he is in us. He is living his life through us. His kingdom is being established because we are in him. And another way to say this is that we have union with Christ. Your life is no longer yours. Your thoughts become the thoughts of Jesus. Your actions become the actions of Jesus. This is why, and I told this to our prospective member class this morning, the the spiritual disciplines of reading Scripture and prayer and journaling and solitude and silence and confession and intercession. This is why these are so important because to do the things that Jesus does helps us to be in Him and He in us. That changes human beings. That can only happen through the Spirit of God when Jesus Christ is in us. So what I'm going to mention as I walk through verse 15, it's not going to be any lightning bolt moment, okay? This is right out of the text of Scripture. There's two things I want to share, and the first of the two is this, as we look at the first part of verse 15. Number one, the power of God's presence is found when the vine and branch are united. All right, listen to verse 15 again. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So let's break it down even further, okay? As I was looking at different translations of this passage, I noticed that the ESV, which is what I preach out of, the King James, which I know most of you have, the New King James and the New American Standard, they all use the word abide, all right? There's other versions. Some of you may have the NIV or the New Living Translation. They use the word remain, And the message, which is a paraphrased translation from Eugene Peterson, uses the phrase to live in. So what does it mean to abide? What does it mean? Well, I think it means to consistently and intentionally surrender to, live in, and remain in the relational presence of Jesus Christ. Every day, re-surrendering yourself. You know, I, I think about this all the time. Uh, if you've ever read the biography of Michael Guido, most of you knew him personally. They said that surrender was the word he was most defined by. And every single day, he'd get out of his bed when the alarm clock went off. He got on his knees. He thanked God and re-surrendered his life. Got up, kissed his wife, and then started his day. Every day, re-surrender, re-surrender, re-surrender. Again, when I talk about salvation, it's not just what we're being saved from. It's what we're being saved for. And what we're being saved for is an eternal relationship with the living God where he wants to make you more like Jesus. And that only happens through daily re-surrender. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but when we get saved, we don't all of a sudden stop struggling with our sins. 
In fact, we're more aware of the struggle than we've ever been. It can be really frustrating. I'm going to tell you what, especially as a pastor. How many mornings have I brushed my teeth and looked in the mirror and said, Bo, you should be better than this. And then I realize I am a sinner. And yes, I am a sinner saved by grace, but I'm also a sinner that's being changed by grace. And that takes time. But it takes recommitting and abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ. Now, I said what abiding is. Let me tell you what abiding is not. Abiding is not just attending church each week. We had an expression growing up in Philadelphia. It's kind of crude, but it's true. We used to say in Philly, you could put a cat in the oven, but that don't make it a biscuit. Right? You, could put a, you could put a person in the church pew, that don't make them a Christian. Now, if you are Christian, you, you will have a desire to be around God's people. You will. But, the, but I'm telling you right now, church attendance does not equal spiritual maturity. Church attendance may equal a disciplined person who's made a good holy habit out of coming to church. But that doesn't necessarily mean spiritual maturity. The same thing with reading Scripture. You can read Scripture every day and fill your mind with information, but what God wants is heart transformation. We read the Scriptures to get to know a person. We read Scriptures to know the heartbeat of God. So abiding in the vine, it does include church attendance, and it does include reading the Holy Scriptures, but that's not the beginning of it, or that's not the end of it, that's just the beginning of it. Abiding in the vine is a mindset. Abiding in the vine is a spiritual resting in God that your identity comes in Jesus Christ. It comes in what He did for you, which you could not do for yourself, living perfectly the way you should have lived, dying sacrificially the death that you deserved, being risen from the dead, making a way from death to life, and as He goes up to heaven, sending down His Holy Spirit to live through us every day. You know what union with Christ really looks like? A quiet joyful soul and i know there are some in this church who have that and even though god has called me to be a shepherd i learn from many of you when i'm around someone that has a quiet joyful soul i know who's the one responsible for molding the soul the way that it is it's jesus christ uh our my old pastor steve which i've talked about him even dave in a short time here has talked about him Steve always had an expression for spending devotional time in the morning. He said, it's time to go out and breathe some fresh air from a foreign country. You get down on your knees, you open up the word of God, and you breathe in his air. You breathe it in. And it changes you. Over the course of time, you begin to desire the things of Christ. You begin to have the heart and the mind and the thoughts and the desires that he has. You know, later on in this passage... He said, if, if my words abide in me and I in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That doesn't mean that God's a genie. It means that the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to want what God wants. And God's naturally going to want to bless that. That's the transformation that takes place. That's union with Christ. And it bears the fruit. Again, that famous passage, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Would, would anybody in this room say they have all those fruits at their maximum capacity every single day? I, I don't know of one of them that I would say I have the highest degree of love that I'm ever going to have or joy or peace or patience. But I will say this. I've been around people who have more of that than I do, and it makes me want to be with them even more because I know where it comes from. It comes from spending time with Jesus, being consciously aware of Jesus, leaning into Jesus in every situation of your life, Say to yourself, where's Jesus in this moment? Right here. He's right here. 
I say this all the time. He's as close to you as the air you breathe because through the Holy Spirit, he's in you and you are in him. I had a professor one time who took a bunch of students outside and he got so angry and frustrated trying to teach on this topic of being in Christ, he took a Coke bottle and he chucked it into a lake. And when the bottle finally sank down, he said, see, there it is. Now the water's in the bottle and the bottle's in the water. I thought, that makes sense. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. But you play an active role in this. The Bible says that we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit by rejecting the work of God in our lives, by trying to do things in our own strength and our own power, or we could take a deep breath, trust in God, rely upon Him, and find our worth and our value in who He is. And that's not a one-time thing. That takes a lifetime of trusting and relying and leaning in. Now, I've only been on this earth 37 years. Many of you have a lot more wisdom than I do. But I have learned this lesson in some unexpected places. One of them, uh, where I learned the idea of abiding or resting in, actually came from a dear friend with four legs. If I could show that first picture, Jody. I, that was my buddy Sarge. Sarge was 200 pounds of love. I adopted him back in 2010, I think, uh, from North Augusta. I went to a rescue center. He had been rejected by three families. The first one tied him to a chain and left him there. And then two other families adopted him and realized they couldn't handle 200 pounds of skittishness. So by the time that I got to him, he was a pretty wounded creature. He was very skittish. And for the first few months that I had him, it was hard for him to trust me. He would snap at me. He would sometimes snap at others. We always joke about that. Uh, but you know what happened over time? He just walked with me, and I walked with him hour after hour, day after day, and he used to take all 200 pounds. He'd look to see where I was. He'd take about three steps back, and he would just lean into me. Look at that picture. That is a dog that knew how to abide. He trusted me. In fact, I would say, and I, I did have to adopt him out when we went to seminary, which broke my heart, but had to be done. Um, he would not leave my side if I was anywhere near the house. Even if I was in the bathroom, he'd scratch on the door until I came out because he knew I would not lead him in the wrong direction. What would our lives look like if we leaned into Jesus the way that furball leaned into me? I want you to think about that. I want you to picture that in your mind. When you're struggling with your finances, when you're struggling in your marriage, when you're struggling with your work situation, when you're struggling with adapting to a new situation, when you're, when you're wrestling, what, what does it look like if you stop and you take a deep breath and you go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I'm struggling. God, this is a tough situation, but remind me, help me to see in this moment, you are with me. I rest in you. This moment is not beyond your understanding. Before the foundations of the earth, you knew this moment was going to be here. And I'm praying that you help me to rest in you. I want you to work through me. Through this struggle, I still want to have love. And I still want to have joy. And I still want to have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Relying on Jesus. Reminding yourself in every moment, where's Jesus? He's here. He's here. He's here. The relational presence of God that is promised to his children through the Holy Spirit is manifested in the vine of Christ and you're his branch. And if you rest in him, 
you will bear fruit and you will change. Well, what's the flip side of that? Number two, the power of God's presence is lost when the vine and branch are separated. Second part of verse 15, I'll read the whole verse again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In the second part, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now here's, here's, here's the deal. God has talented and gifted some of you with so many gifts and talents, you can actually get pretty far in your own strength. And for a while, nobody will notice. People will think, man, you really are growing in the Christian walk. But you will hit a brick wall eventually. The newness of your faith may wear off eventually. The excitement and the euphoria of being a Christian will, will wear off. You know, they always say that when you think of the Christian life as a race, as soon as you get the number pinned on your chest and everybody's hugging you and loving you and celebrating that you've entered the race, everyone's cheering, you hear the sound of the gun, and all of a sudden it takes a little further into the race where the sound of the crowd starts dying down. And now your lungs are starting to burn. And now you're really realizing, oh my goodness, I'm in the middle of a marathon and I haven't even run a 150-yard dash before. Like, I'm in trouble. It's in those moments where you get to the end of yourself that you get to the beginning of God. Because you were not expected to run the Christian life in your own effort. I know I've tried and I'm still trying sometimes. I'm still butting my head against the wall. I had the last two nights, I just cannot go to sleep wrestling with issues and, and I'm struggling and I just confess, God, I don't want to preach this that this is not true in my own life. I want to abide in you. I want to hand things over to you and not worry and struggle and just have a peace that where my strength ends, your strength continues forever. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It is a daily struggle to abide in the vine of Christ. You know why? Because when your feet hit the cold hardwood floor in the morning, you already have three enemies that do not want you anywhere near the vine. That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three of those will try to take your attention away from God onto something else. It is a battle to constantly turn the TV off to put down the remote control, to put down the iPhone, get real with God, get close with His Son in prayer. Sometimes it's just silence. Sometimes I have to remind myself, I am not a human doing, I'm a human being, and I need to just be. You ever just need to sit in silence and let God minister to your heart? We need that. Even 20 seconds of that in a worship service as we have each week drives some people crazy. God, God meets us in the quiet moments. And those quiet moments are the ones that carry on into the rest of our day. Dallas Willard used to always say, I want to have a quiet time that lasts 24 hours. And it's not that he's on his knees praying for 24 hours. It's the, the sweet intimacy that he has with God when he pours that cup of coffee and it has an open Bible. He wants to carry that intimacy with him in every conversation that he has and in every place that he goes. And it is possible. It is possible to be in the moment with God all day long. I want that. Do you? Do you want that power in your life? That power that can really change you? I want that in my life. I believe that the key to that as we start drawing to a close is three things, really repentance, faith, and obedience. I said this before. I want to say it again because I feel like no matter how many times I say it, there's still some confusion here. There's two different aspects to your forgiveness of sin. There's a positional and a relational aspect to it, okay? 
Positionally, you are saved in a moment, which means when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and your heart changed and you became a Christian, the Bible says that you are born again. And when you are born again, you're declared innocent. The word we use for that is justified, justification. When you die, if you're a Christian, you'll stand in the courtroom of God and you'll be declared innocent because of what Jesus did. You'll get credit for all that he did right and he took all the punishment for what you did wrong on the cross. That is justification. Now you say, well, if all my sins are already forgiven, why do I have to keep confessing? Because there is a relational aspect of sin. You may still be declared innocent. You may still be secure in your salvation, but your personal day-to-day relationship with God is shattered when you are not repenting of sin. All right, some people think of, what do I need to do to get saved? And we realize we can't do anything but put our faith in Christ who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. But instead of just wanting the bare minimum, what about the highest degree of joy that you can experience in the Christian life? Some of you think right now it's going to be professional success. Some of you think right now when your job or your company or your this gets to this level, you'll experience a fulfillment. And I'm here to tell you that's never going to happen. Some of you think it's, it's your physical condition. When I finally get a clean bill of health and stop worrying about this or that or this, when I finally, the doctor tells me things are good, then I will finally have that joy and fulfillment. And what I'm telling you is the world can't give that to you. Only God through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can. And it is a struggle every day to keep our eyes focused on Him. But we do that through constant repentance. We do that through faith. And we also do that through obedience. You know, when you're living for God, you want to be close to him. And when you're not living for God, you don't want to be close to him. People are not repenting in the midst of sin. They repent when they're ready to turn away from it. So that leads me to our conclusion. If I had to sum it all up in one sentence, I would say this. The power of God's presence comes only from God's spirit when we have union with God's son. So abide in the vine of Christ. Abide in the vine of Christ. I don't care what situation you are in right now. Don't go through it not thinking that God is with you. Didn't Jesus say, I am with you always? He is relationally present in your life, and you may not even know it. You may not have taken a moment to enjoy it and lean into it the way that dog would lean into me. It does not mean that Jesus will remove suffering from your life. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, it promises that you will have suffering. We join him in the suffering. Because to be like him, we suffer as he suffered. But the suffering, although it is promised to us, his presence is also promised. And I'll make that trade any day of the week. I would rather suffer with Jesus than celebrate without him. So what are some practical ways we can abide in the vine as we draw this to a close? Well, I just mentioned three. I kind of mentioned one already. Repent of known sin in your life. Repent of known sin. Think about things that you know are not honoring God. Gossip. Okay, one, I hate to, I know I bring this up a lot because this is the the sin of the day in uh, 2018, but cohabitation. It is never okay for an unmarried man to live with an unmarried woman at any circumstance for any reason past present or future i don't care what your excuse is i've heard them all it's sin and you will not know god's joy in your life until you repent and i'm not going to sugarcoat it all right look at other aspects of our life and we all we all struggle with it right all right for some of us it for some of us it's literally just getting away from gossip 
getting off of Facebook and stop talking about what everybody else is doing and focus on your own life with the Lord. Repent. God loves you. There's nothing you've done so bad that he will not draw you back into a sweet presence with him, but you need to start the process of healing by repenting. The second is renewing your mind in the scriptures. The world is telling you one story completely separate from God, so the amount of time you spend in the world is an equal amount of time you ought to be spending in his word. Sometimes reading the word of God is unprogramming what all the commercials and everything else is trying to program my brain to believe and reprogramming my brain to what God wants me to know. And the third is just to remember, to meditate on all the things that God has done and all the things he promised that he will do in your life if you abide in him. Jesus' promises are beautiful and they're rich and they're true. But we need to take hold of those promises in our daily life. I know I'm a Southern Baptist, so I had to alliterate it. It's repent, renew, and remember. And I say that so you will remember. I don't have this thing nailed down. I don't have it perfect. I struggle like anybody else. Again, I even said the last two nights of my life not being able to fall asleep because I'm wrestling with some things in my life. But I know this. I know where the answer is. It's abiding in Christ. It's not in my own effort. It's not in my own wisdom. It's abiding in the vine. Whatever your situation is, my prayer is this, that you're constantly, at least for the next seven days, just take seven days, and every day, whatever situation you're in, whatever struggle you're in, Say to yourself, where's Jesus in this? He has not left me. He has not forsaken me. He is with me, and he will stay with me if I trust and obey and lean into him, if I abide in the vine. Let's pray. Father, what I share now with my church family, I I plead for myself. Father, we need the vine of Christ. I know everyone in this room, we we desire to bear good spiritual fruit. We want to be more loving, have more joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And Father, we can't do it in the flesh. We've tried. We've failed. Father, would you make Jesus and his relational presence in our life more obvious to us? Let us remember when we're driving our cars, Father. Remind us through the Holy Spirit when we're on the phone with customers. Remind us when we're in conversation with our spouses. Father, help us to be just constantly saturated with the idea that God is present in our life. Help us, Father, to cling to your presence through your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.